No, I'm, I'm glad to be here, real excited. You know, it's funny, I was, uh, I was at a nursing home. We do nursing home ministry, and uh, you know, Pastor Charlie and I talking about how long we've known each other. And, you know, it's kind of hard when you start thinking about that because we've known each other for a long time, but what ends up happening is that you realize, wow, we're getting older. You know, so I'm at this nursing home recently, and this little old lady's there, and, well, there's a bunch of little old ladies there, and we're doing a Bible study, and, and I said, you know, we've been coming here for like 20 years now, and I said, and we're all getting a little older, and this little old lady says, just be glad you're not as old as me, she says. It's too hard, she says. Just like that. I imitated her perfectly, you know, and so that's how she sounded, and so, and I said, really? I said, well, well, well how old are you? And she goes, 102. I'm like, wow, that is great. I said, but you said it's too hard. When did it start getting hard? She goes, about two years ago. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I'm encouraged, you know. So anyway, Charlie and I have known each other for a long time already, and we're getting older. But he's been a great blessing to me and a source of encouragement for many years. He's been in the ministry longer than I have, and and uh, I think 32, 33 years, something like that. And I've been in the ministry in Silver City for 23 years, so... I've always looked up to him as a, a mentor and, and one who has a lot of wisdom. And so I, I'm really grateful I can be here to share with you this morning. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And we're going to be in chapter 18. So if you'll open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. We come to this section of scripture, which to me is, is one of the most practical teachings of Jesus on how to handle conflicts in our lives, how to resolve conflicts in our lives. And and, uh, you know, what we find that, that the Lord does here, and the epistles as well, is they are teaching us how to conduct ourselves in the household of God. How the Lord wants us to behave and to treat one another, and how he wants us to resolve conflicts in our relationships with each other as brothers and sisters and as the family of God. So, as we look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So we know that as we look at this whole chapter, and if you have a red letter edition of your Bible, most of the conversation in this chapter is Jesus talking. And he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his own followers. And so what Jesus is doing is he's laying down for us here in this chapter some great teachings, I think, that are so practical to everyday living because he's talking about, like I said, how to handle conflicts within the family of God. Now, sadly, because Jesus' teachings are not obeyed and applied like they should be often, um, our problems are multiplied. Our problems are often magnified uh, because we are not obeying the simple truths and steps that Jesus lays out for us to follow when someone hurts us or when someone wrongs us or sins against us. And so there is obviously a proper response and then there is an improper response. Now, if we would learn to obey the teachings of Jesus, I do believe that we would really experience a lot less frustration and anger and bitterness in our lives. And so it's by not responding to, to Jesus' words that really gets us in a lot of trouble. But when we begin to do what Jesus says, it's such a blessed thing. And, and I hope that as we look at this text this morning, that we will be encouraged to obey the Lord in our own lives personally. 
Now let's go ahead and, and just for the sake of context, we're not going to look at this first part. We're going to look at uh, the, the second part of this uh, teaching on forgiveness. But uh, let's begin looking at verse 15 just so we can kind of get the context. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. So right off the bat, Jesus says, look, if there's a problem that you have with someone else or they've hurt you in some way, that you were to go to that person just between the two of you. And I, I, I emphasize this because it says go, to, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. It doesn't say get on the internet. It doesn't say get on Facebook. It doesn't say call all your friends and tell them what a bozo that this person was and how they hurt you. It doesn't say that at all. It says you keep that between you and the Lord and that person and you go to him. Now, if that doesn't work, and he, when he, notice what he says, because the whole idea is reconciliation and forgiveness. He says, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. But, so sometimes that doesn't work. Jesus knows that. So he says, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, uh, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So Jesus says, get a couple of mature believers, go the person and try to get the issue resolved uh, just between the four of you. Verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. It's only then that you bring it to the attention of the leadership or the church to try to help resolve the issue. I had a guy one time in between our services and he came up to me and he says, Pastor Joseph, I want you to talk to so and so and so. There were three different people. He goes, I have an issue with them. And I said, well, have you done Matthew 18? Have you gone to them personally and told, no, no, I want you to fix it. And I said, well, we're cutting in line here. You know, you need to do step one, step two, and then I'll get involved if necessary in step three. And he said, I don't want to do that. And I said, well, I'm not going to cut line either. You need to deal with it the way Jesus said. And so often we don't want to do that, but this is what the Lord is teaching us and how to resolve our conflicts. Verse 18, Assuredly I say to you, now this is how binding all of this is in the eyes of God. Assuredly I say to you that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Speaking about the context of forgiveness or not forgiveness. In verse 19, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So we have the assurance from Jesus that he's in the midst of the, 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 the conflict resolution. He's there trying to help us. He's there with us. We're not doing it on our own. We're asking for the Lord to intervene. So we have this beautiful teaching Jesus gives to us if someone wounds us or someone hurts us. But now it's going to go to the flip side. Well, what happens if... If uh, someone sins against you, how should you respond to them? The other one was if, if you know, I can go to you if you've, if you've sinned against me. But what happens if someone comes to me now and asks for forgiveness? How am I to respond to that? And that's sort of what Peter's going to ask here and talk to him about. Look at verse 21. Then Peter came to him and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I love Peter. And the reason I love Peter is because Peter, because of Peter's impulsiveness, sometimes his blunders or the mistakes or his imperfections or his inquisitiveness or his, like he'll just blurt stuff out sometimes. But because of that happening, Peter often sets things up beautifully for the Lord to give a great answer. And that's what's really awesome here. 
And, and so he basically says, Lord, you're talking about forgiveness. You're talking about reconciliation. You're talking about restoration and relationships. But there must be a line. And so basically the question is an excellent one because what he's saying is, Lord, how do we deal with issues when someone's hurt us or when someone's wronged us? But isn't there a, a place where you draw the line and say, that's it. I'm not going to forgive you. And so maybe you've wondered this yourself, and that's what Peter is asking. He says, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, as we look at this issue of forgiveness, and we talk about forgiveness from our desire to seek out reconciliation or our willingness to give forgiveness to others, these are important topics, very important topics in the Scripture. I've heard it said that if people could be 100% sure that they are either forgiven of all of their guilt or they knew that someone that they had hurt would, had forgiven them, that 95% or so of mental wards would be emptied or, or shut down. It's a huge issue in so many people's lives. It's a key to our spiritual well-being. Forgiveness is key for us. It's key to our mental well-being. It's key to our physical well-being as well and especially our spiritual well-being. And I think there's a lot of people that are spiritually, um, mentally, or even physically ill because of this whole, whole area of unforgiveness and bitterness which poisons our lives. As a pastor, what we see often, I talked to Charlie, we, we, I've talked to many pastors about this, what we often see is people coming in wanting to know, am I forgiven of my guilt? Is God can God forgive me? Will God forgive me for what I've done? Or the other one is the need for them to forgive others what they have had done to them. And so a lot of people come in with that. And a lot of people hold on to, I've found, unforgiveness and bitterness. And they become very, very miserable people. A good friend of mine, his name is Bobby. And he's been on staff at Calvary of Albuquerque for a few years and all. And, and he before that, he was a banker. And... and uh, he dealt with people all the time, and this lady used to come into the bank all the time, and every time she came in, she always had something negative to say, whether it was about the weather or, or she was mean to the tellers, or, but she was always mad, always grumpy, and so Bobby was a believer, and he loves to share the gospel, so he decides one day that he's going to, and I can't remember her name, Mrs. Smith or something, and he says, Mrs. Smith, do you mind coming into my office? And so she came in and they sat, she sat down and he said, he said, you know, I've noticed that every time you come in, you're, you're, you're upset, you're angry, you're mad at the world, you're, you're mad at the tellers. And I, I just want to know, tell me, what caused this in your life? Did something happen to you that made you so angry at everything and everyone? And she said, yes, I'll tell you what it was. It was my sister when we were 14 years old. And she, she took my dress. She borrowed my dress and, uh, and without asking. And we fought and all. And now we don't even talk to each other. And this lady's like 80-some years old. So she has held on to bitterness. And, and she allowed a root of bitterness in her heart that turned into a jungle of bitterness. And so her whole life was just full of negativity and anger and, and, and you know, bitterness and unforgiveness towards her sister. And now it was spilling over everywhere. So it, it's one of those areas where, you know, we need to learn what the Lord is saying to us here and to apply it to our lives, lest we be poisoned and destroyed by it. How important is forgiveness? I'm telling you, for us as believers, it is not even an option like, well, should I or shouldn't I? 
It is a command from God that we forgive. In fact, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew or earlier in this Gospel to chapter 6. And I want to begin looking at chapter 6 and verse 9. Some of you, like me, probably learned this prayer growing up. Uh, I was raised in the Catholic Church and I went to church with my parents, but I never knew the Lord personally. I knew about God, but I didn't know Him in a personal way. But one of the things I had to learn when I went to catechism is I had to learn the Our Father. We called it the Our Father. And so I learned this prayer. And, uh, and so here's how it goes. In verse 9, he says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But in this prayer, what you notice, and maybe you just skipped over it because you've said it so many times, but in verse 12 it says, And forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we, notice that, as we forgive our debtors. I don't know how many hundreds of times I have said this prayer especially growing up, and I never ever thought about the words. Because what I would do is I would go to confession and I would confess my sins to the priest. And usually here's how it went with me. I don't know how it went with you if you were Catholic, but as a teenager especially, I didn't want to have to stay in there saying a whole bunch of Our Fathers and Hail Marys for my penance. So I would either spread my sins out over a long period of time and not tell them all my sins, or um, I, I had learned to say the prayers super fast. So I didn't have to stay there long. So I could say this prayer, the Our Father, like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, that will be done on earth. You know, and I was out of there. But I never thought about what it said. But then I started, you know, I gave my life to Christ, started reading the Bible, and I got to this section. And first of all, I was all excited because I was like, whoa, I have a scripture memorized, you know. I had this section memorized, didn't even know it. <laughs> and then I started looking at and, and, and contemplating and meditating upon what Jesus was saying here. He says that we need to come before him and ask for forgiveness, but he says, as we forgive our debtors. And then a part of this teaching that I never had heard before, go down to verse 14. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now it starts to get a little more serious. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I read that and I'm like, wow. I didn't know that. I thought I could just come and ask God for forgiveness and I was, everything was good as long as I'm good this way. I didn't know I needed to be good this way. But he's saying, if I'm not willing to forgive those that have sinned against me, how am I going to then expect God to forgive me for my sins? And Jesus says, it's not going to happen. So it's pretty serious when you begin to think about what Jesus is saying here. And I don't know about you, this to me is a pretty black and white issue. It's pretty clear what Jesus is saying here. And I would ask you, uh, you know, how many of you are desirous to be forgiven of your sins in here? How many of you want to be forgiven before God? Right? Now, now, you know, that's just logical. We need forgiveness. But I don't think any of us in this room would say, well, I desire the brunt of the justice of God. I don't want mercy. None of us want that because we would be judged and we'd be sent to hell. 
So we all need forgiveness, every single one of us. But what the Lord is teaching us here is that we also need to learn how to forgive others. And that's what this parable is about. And that's what Jesus is addressing here as Peter comes to him in verse 21. Let's read it again. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Now, Peter, Peter is hearing what Jesus is saying about trying to reconcile and there being forgiveness between each other. And he knows that forgiveness is good. He knows it's important. But he's saying, what's the limit? There must be a limitation on this. And as we're li listening to the, the question that Peter gives here, it's sort of a fleshly question if you think about it. Peter probably at this point thought that he was being pretty generous and pretty spiritual because the rabbis of that day taught that to forgive, you were to forgive up to three times. If someone hurt you, and then you were to forgive them three different times, up to three. And after that, it was over. But what does Peter do here? Peter comes to Jesus, and I can almost see Peter, you know, because they were always sort of competing as to who was the greatest and who was the most spiritual and all that. And Peter comes up to the Lord, and he doubles it and adds one <laughs> for good measure. So he says, how many times shall I forgive? Up to seven? I mean, that's pretty impressive. I mean, that's, that's pretty neat that he would say, wow, look how spiritual, Lord. I will be willing to forgive up to seven times. And then after that, can I retaliate? After that, can I pay the person back? After that, can I hold on to a grudge? And look at the response of Jesus. It's pretty amazing. Listen to what he says in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, if you are any good at math, and I'm not, I'm horrible at it, that's 490. Now, we have a little slide that I want to show you guys that I found. Someone posted it on their Facebook, and I stole it and put it on mine, and I loved it. And I'll tell you why I loved it in a second. But here, here's Jesus talking to his apostles, and he says, I tell you, you know, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then one of the apostles, probably Peter, he goes, uh, great, not only do I have to forgive my brother, but now I have to do math or whatever. I can't even read it. But, and I'm like, that's exactly how, I'm like, I am horrible at math, right? And so this disciple's like, what? What's 70 times 7? But I think the point of what Jesus is making here is not that we're to keep a tally. Like, well, that's 489, one more, and I'm punching you in the face. You know, that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying to keep a tally. He's basically teaching us that we need to be willing to forgive in an unlimited fashion over and over and over again, and that our heart and our attitude ought to be, it should be second nature to us as believers that we are willing to forgive habitually and that we don't hold on to bitterness and that we don't hold on to unforgiveness and anger towards other people. Now, we are so apt to be like Peter, aren't we? We want to put a, a, a number limit on it. You know, and, and, and the way that we are when someone hurts us is, okay, I'll forgive you this time, but it better not happen again. You better not do it again, Right? But imagine if God took that tone towards us or that attitude towards us. Wouldn't we all be in big trouble? Because how many times have we come before the Lord asking for forgiveness for the same things? 
And yet the Lord has been merciful and forgiven us. And so we need to learn how to forgive. And so this parable is a very important teaching on the forgiveness and what forgiveness means. Let's go ahead and read it, the rest of it in its context and see what Jesus is saying here. Let's begin reading at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. We'll talk about how large that is in a minute. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that the payment be made. The servant therefore fell before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet. Isn't this a familiar scene? Didn't we just see this, right? Fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And verse 30, and he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what, he, what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then the, his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Now here's the, the exclamation point. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So we begin to hear what Jesus is saying here, and this is such a heavy teaching. It's such a, a powerful teaching. Now to simplify this, God is the king, and we're the servants, if you will, in the story, or the master. We're the ones that owed the debt of 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents is equivalent to 10 to 15 million dollars in our culture. And so we see that the servant had no means to repay the debt. Now the debt in this story is sin. Okay? So we're debtors to God by way of sin. All of us have sinned so, so much. We've sinned so grievously. We've sinned so grossly, so abundantly, so extravagantly against God that we can never hope to pay it back. All that we can hope for in our sinful condition before a holy God is that God would have mercy on us. That God would forgive us the debt of our sin. That God would cancel it. That he would erase it. Release us from ever having to repay it. Let me give you an illustration just so you can kind of understand in your mind what the difference is between um, these two numbers. A hundred denarii could be carried in one's pocket a 10,000 10, talent debt 
would be equal to, and what you could do is you could take an army of 8,600 men, each carrying a sack of 60 pounds, walking one yard apart, and the line would be five miles long. That is what the equivalent of a 10,000 talent debt was. But Jesus is pointing out that that's us before God. And then in comparison between what we have done to God versus what someone else has done to us, the, the debt is huge. Our debt before God and their debt before us is like pocket change. It's like nothing. What people have done to us is minuscule compared to what we in our sins have done to God. And so we're in huge debt. So when Jesus says what he says in verse 24 down to verse 27, let's look at it again. And when he had set, set uh, had, excuse me, when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold. And in that culture, that's what they would do. You, would, you could literally be sold into slavery and you had to pay that debt off. So this is what was going to happen. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion. This is God towards us. Move with compassion released him and forgave him this gigantic debt. And you know, this, this verse, this section right here is, is sort of the, the great hallelujah or amen, the shout of amen for every single believer. It's the good news of the gospel. Why? What is our greatest need? Our greatest need before God is forgiveness. And that's what Jesus Christ has come to accomplish. That's why he went to the cross to lay down his life and pay the debt of our sins on the cross. This is what the, what the gospel is all about. But here's the thing. The parable doesn't end right there. If it ended right there, that'd be awesome, right? Oh, we're forgiven by God, this great debt. But it doesn't end there at all. Because what happens next is God is saying, look, I want you to be forgiven vertically between me and you. But I also want you to learn how to forgive horizontally. And that's where Christianity is hard. That's where it becomes real. That's where the rubber meets the road. Because are we going to put into practice what Jesus teaches? Is our faith truly a genuine faith? And that's the real test. You see, we've been forgiven by God. We know that. But now the Lord is teaching us that we are, are now expected to forgive others even as we have been forgiven. And so my question to you this morning in searching your own heart is have you forgiven others? Are you holding on to the debt of others? Are you holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness in your life? Look at verse 28. Notice. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's like 15, 20 bucks. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. Now what had, what's sad about this is that this still happens all of the time. This is one of the saddest scenes in scripture. And, and you know that this happens, especially we as pastors, because we're dealing with people and counseling all the time. 
But we know that there are people who are holding on to grudges towards other people that are just, they're like pocket change. And they have other people by the throat, figuratively, maybe some even literally, and they're demanding to be repaid back. And they have this unforgiveness in their hearts. And so when that servant then asked him for mercy, notice what he says in verse 29 and verse 30. In verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. It's the same exact thing he had done himself. And now someone does it to him, same words, everything. Verse 39, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. All I can say is I hope and pray that this is not any of us in this room. I hope that we are not people that will say, I will not forgive. I will not cancel the debt. And I'm going to hold on to it, and I'm going to hold you to it. And we see that this happens, and it's crazy to me when you look at what Jesus is teaching us here because God forgives us so, so much, and yet we are so, so unwilling to forgive so, so little so often. And people do hurt us, and we're all, all of us in this room, can, we know that. We have been hurt by other people, but we've also been guilty of hurting others as well. Let's never forget that. And we've been guilty before God, and God's been merciful to us. But as we look at this whole situation, the Lord is, is basically saying, we don't have any right not to forgive someone else's little petty wrong. And yet how many people, like I said, have a death grip on others and will not let go because they will not forgive? And so let me ask you, where are your hands are your hands embracing others in grace and mercy and forgiveness? Or are your hands around someone's throat and you're choking them? And it may be in your marriage. Maybe you won't forgive your husband or your wife. You just won't do it. Maybe it's, it's your parents. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your, your, your relative, a, bro, you know, a, a cousin. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone in the church. It's sad for me as a pastor to see this happen in the church when the Lord teaches us very clearly how we're to handle conflict and that we're to resolve it, we're to forgive each other. And yet even in the church I see where people won't do it. Christians. I was talking to a pastor recently about something that had happened in his church and this couple that was a, a long, you know, they've been in a church forever. I mean, just part of the fellowship. They got upset with another couple and they said, oh, we're not coming anymore. And I said, well... You know, I said, didn't you talk to them about Matthew 18 and forgiveness? He says, I've preached it so many times. And he says, here's the sad part. He says, I've preached on forgiveness. And he says, um, I've heard tons of sermons on forgiveness. He says, but what I'm just not seeing is people forgive. That is a sad, sad testimony for us as believers. In fact, we're going to see how the Lord is going to hold us accountable if we won't forgive. And so it's necessary that we learn how to forgive others. We have to forgive when people hurt us. Now, forgiveness isn't easy. How many of you, and I'm not going to have you raise your hand on this one, but how many of you, maybe like me, have struggled with, with unforgiveness or bitterness? 
And, and a lot of us have. We've gone through this in our lives. I've shared it at the other services. When you start sharing at multiple services, you're like, did I already tell the story? So if I did, just pretend like I didn't, okay? But, uh, but when I was a young kid, I haven't told the story yet, I don't think. When I was a, did I? When I was a young kid, I was, I was first grade, maybe kindergarten. This guy in high school asked me to go back. We lived in Bernalillo in a rural area. And he said, hey, will you go back to the ditch with me? I said, sure. Well, when we went back there, he molested me. And when he molested me, of course, you know, I don't want to tell my parents. I don't want to tell anyone. So I kept it a secret. I never told anyone. But it, it was in there. And I tried to sweep it aside, but it would come up again. And I tried to sweep it aside. And, and as time went on in my teenage years, I, I started, you know, becoming more angry and bitter. And, and then I got involved in drugs and alcohol. And then I started getting involved in sexual morality. And I was hurt. Then I started hurting other people. And it was this horrible, horrible this thing perpetuated. But then I got saved. I gave my life to Christ and, and I knew that I was forgiven. I knew I was forgiven for my sins. And, and I remember the very first person I ever told that I had been molested was my own wife. And I remember I wept when I told her what had happened to me. So I thought everything was good. And then I went back to my hometown and I was hanging out in my hometown and I went to the, to the Circle K there in Bernalillo and I was getting some cereal, I was visiting my brother and getting some cereal and some milk and all of a sudden I heard my name. And I looked up and right across, I'm in one aisle and the little you know, area here with all those cereal and then on the other aisle looking right at me was the guy who had molested me. He recognized me. I don't know how he recognized me all those years later but he recognized me. And he said my name. He says, is that you? And I looked at him. And I'm telling you, the second my eyes met with his, I seethed with rage and anger. And I literally wanted to jump over. And I was a man now, and I wanted to jump over there and pound him. But the Lord constrained me, and I, I didn't even answer him. I just looked at him, and I walked out, and I got in my car, and I started my car, and I just drove off. And I was so mad. And the Lord said, we have an issue here. You need to forgive him. You're holding on to bitterness. And, uh, and so I prayed and I said, Lord, help me. Because I'd really rather kill him. And, uh, and the Lord just said, no, you're a child of God and that's not how we handle it. And so I prayed and, and I believed that the Lord helped me. He brought it to the surface and helped me to forgive him. And I did, I forgave him. And I kind of regret it now. The thing I regret now is that I could have witnessed to him. I could have shared the gospel with him. I've never seen him since then. But now I know if I ever see him again, I'm not going to want to pound his face. I'm going to want to tell him, you need Jesus. And Jesus can forgive you. And I forgive you. But I, I wasn't at that moment ready. But the Lord showed me I needed to forgive. And so I'm not telling you guys that this is an easy thing to do. But what I am telling you is this. Is that God will give us the power and the ability to do it. He never asks us to do anything that we cannot do with his grace and his strength. And so I hope that you're willing to listen to what Jesus is saying here. Now this is taught all over the scripture. This is not just, you know, here or there or, or you know, hit or miss. It's all over. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Okay, what does that mean? 
We're to forgive just like God has forgiven us. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Bible tells us that he puts our sins behind his back. That he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that when God forgives us, he remembers our sins no more. Never to be counted against us. That he casts them into the depths of the sea. And so the Bible says that when he forgives us, the debt is completely omitted and canceled. A lot of us, the way that we forgive is like this. We'll say, well, I'm willing to bury the hatchet. But then we leave the handle sticking out. And at the right moment, we take it out and what you know, over the person's head or whatever. That's not what God does. God throws the, the whole hatchet into the depths of the sea where it can never be gotten again. And that's how we're to learn how to forgive like the Lord has forgiven us. Colossians 3.13 says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Why is this repeated so often? Because the Lord knows we struggle with it. We know, the Lord knows that we have issues with each other. The Lord repeats this over and over because it's important. And so he, we're giving a pattern here that we're to follow. We're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And that means then, if that's what he's teaching us, that means that the record is clean. When we come before God and he forgives us, the record is clean. There's no anger. There's no bitterness. There's no more resentment. When you hear the person's name, you're not still seething with anger. When you see him at the store and you're coming down the aisle and you see the person, you don't go, oh, there's Fred. And you go the other way, right? No, you go talk and you say, hi, Fred. I mean, it doesn't mean that Fred is innocent of everything he's done to you, but it means in your heart you have chosen to forgive. And so a lot of people, they say, well, I forgave, but they don't act like it. Forgiveness, when it's genuine, will be proved out in our willingness to act as though we have forgiven the person and to treat them as though we have forgiven them. Now, I, had, I always get questions like this when I teach these things because people will come out and they'll say, yeah, but, you know. And like Charlie said, there's no loopholes. We're always looking for loopholes. Now, when you go to a person and you tell them, hey, you've sinned against me, and they might not respond, but you've done the right thing in your heart. Or if they come and, 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 you know, and you've forgiven the person and they keep acting like a bonehead, you know what, you've you still done the right thing in your heart. You've obeyed the Lord and you've forgiven. And so notice verse 31 though. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and they told their master all that had been done. So I, when I look at verse 31, I hope that when we see another person that we know is a professing believer who's been forgiven, and if they don't forgive others, I hope that grieves our hearts because that behavior is wrong. And so verse 32, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, now God calls him back in. After he hears that he had his hands around someone's throat, after even though he had been forgiven this huge debt, God calls him back in and notice what he says to him. He says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Look at verse 34. 30, uh, yeah, verse 33. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? 
Now, as we look at this, we see, well, how does God view this servant that was unwilling to forgive? Very clearly, Jesus says right here, God's view is he calls him a wicked servant. In other words, unforgiveness and bitterness, when we hold on to it, it is likened to wickedness in the eyes of God. And then in verse 33, we see that we're expected to, to have compassion and forgive. And if we don't, and we don't do it, we're not willing to do it. Notice what he says to him. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant? God expects us to treat others the way he's treated us. He says, just as I had pity on you. Verse 34, and his master, notice, was angry. See, our unforgiveness towards others angers the Lord. I mean, that's the straight up as I can read it. You want to make the Lord upset or, or angry? Be an unforgiving, bitter person. And so notice he says he was angry and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay back all that was due him. Now, it says he's going to be delivered to the torturers. What is that talking about? Right? Who are the torturers? All I can say is, I don't want to find out. I don't want to find out. I want to forgive so I don't have to find out. We can avoid them by forgiving. And I don't know anyone that wants torture or misery in their lives, but I think unforgiveness is an, in and of itself a prison or a state of torment or torture. I have seen it over and over and over again. When people hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness, they are being tortured themselves. They can't sleep at night. They're full of anger. It's, just, it's a horrible thing, just like that woman I, I illustrated earlier. And so are the torturers demonic? Is this talking about they'll be tortured now? Is it talking about they'll be tortured in the next life? Those are good questions. Here's what Warren Wiersbe says. He says this, unforgiveness is the world's worst prison. And it is one of the world's largest and most cruel prisons. And then he says, and so many are in it. So many are in it. So not to forgive is really to hurt yourself. And so the most miserable people on, on earth are those that are full of anger and bitterness and hate and unforgiveness. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Les Miserables. But that movie is a great illustration of forgiveness and bitterness. And it's a great movie. It's just, I, I really, when I watched it, it was very powerful. But there's so many people living their lives full of unforgiveness. I found these in one of my sermon quote books, and I like this on forgiveness. Um, here's, here's a few of them. I can forgive, but I will not forget. Is only another way of saying I will not forgive. Forgiveness ought to be like a canceled note, torn in two and burned up so that it can never be shown against another. When you forgive, you in no way change the past, but you sure do change the future. That's a good one. It's a good way to think about it. Because if you don't forgive, your future is, according to what Jesus says here, it's not going to go well. And then he says, to, and someone else says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was you. 
And this is my favorite when C.S. Lewis says this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others. And we might look at what they've done to us and say, well, that is inexcusable. And it very may, well may be, but think about it like this. He goes on, he says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable to you and you. So God's given, forgiven us our things that are inexcusable. And so if we are truly going to be forgiven by God and we understand what our sin and the weight of our sin and how heavy our sin has been in the eyes of God and yet God has been merciful and forgiven us all of this sin and he took it on his son and his son bore it on the cross for us and he died for us. I remember the very first time I saw the movie The Passion. It's, it was shown in Las Cruces to a, a group of pastors before it actually came out. And I went and I watched it. And I remember the, the, the scene of Jesus being, being beaten. And it was just relentless. And they were just scourging him. And he was being torn to shreds. And he was bleeding everywhere. And then they hung him on this cross. And the thing that came to my mind was, Lord, I did this to you. This is what my sin did to you. I am so sorry. You know, and, and when you think about how the Lord has forgiven us, th that's the good news of the gospel, that we can be forgiven. When I came to the Lord, it was such a blessing to know that I could be forgiven of all of this junk in my life. But you see, the key that opens a door in our own hearts, in our, is in our own hearts, in our own hands, for for really being freed completely is we have to learn to forgive others as well. We need the forgiveness of God. But if we really want to be free, we really need to forgive others what they've done to us. And so verse 35, if we won't, this is the other option. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you, from his heart. Now notice it says from his heart. It has to be sincere, not fake. If from his heart he does not forgive his brother his trespasses. What's he talking about? Do to me. What does he mean do to me? What? Give me over to the torturers. And so God wants us to learn how to forgive as he, he's forgiven. Now, as we close, I want to give you a little homework. Nobody likes homework, right? But this is an important one. I want you to pray about it and search your own heart. If there's someone or more than one or people in your life that you're holding on to unforgiveness towards, the best thing that you could do is get on the phone and call them or go visit them or write them a letter or an email or something or ask to, to meet with them and learn what it really means to be like Jesus. What did Jesus say when he was hanging on the cross and he looked out at all of his enemies who had been spitting on him and mocking him and beating him? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so he gave us the model of forgiveness. We need to learn how to forgive as Jesus has forgiven us. And so if you have anyone in your life that you need to forgive, I just want to encourage you this morning to, to, to go to that person. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm not sure. We don't always know how the people will respond to us. But to say to someone, I forgive you, 
and I'm not going to be bitter towards you or angry against you anymore is a great way to get set free in your own life. Let's pray.